Hey everybody, welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct, where we're coming to you from lovely San Jose, California, right before Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. Of course, I'm Brian Slagle, as always. We have here Sean Work from NHL.com. Sean, how are you? I'm good, man. We're almost to the finish line of the playoffs. It's been uh, six weeks of uh, amazing hockey and hard travel, and uh, we're almost there. So are you excited for the end, or no, you're like, we'll like no, I want to go on for three more months? Keep going, right? Okay. Eat right. hockey every day. All right. I think you're not our completely guest, telling the truth, but that's all right. Yes. Our guest will tell you how yes. much we need hockey every day <clears throat> well, we while are, he sits at his cabin. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're uh, we've had him on the show before, but as part, in fact, last year's Stanley Cup final is part of a roundtable. But today we get him all by himself, NHL insider for TSN and ESPN, and more importantly, food and wine expert <laughs> Pierre LeBrun. Pierre, how are you, sir? You can tell the food part just by looking at me. But uh, I'm I'm great. I'm I'm excited to be back on, Brian. It's an honor. Oh well, thank you for doing this. Yeah, man. It's an honor to have you here. So. Uh, so game three is in a few short hours this evening. Do the Sharks have any chance of winning a game, let alone the series? Well, losing Thomas Hurdle for game three, or, uh, the news was just announced this morning, is a huge blow. He's been really impactful in the first two games on a team that didn't have a lot of impactful players in Pittsburgh. But having said that, I, I just think that this team has been so impressive this spring, especially at home. 7-1, and one, having won seven in a row. They got an extra buzz from this crowd. I think they'll deliver tonight and win game three. I hope so, because I have tickets to game five. So very, and more importantly, I have plane tickets to that game. <laughs> History also suggests that they'll win at least one of these games because the team's coming out east to play the West in the it's Stanley tough. Cup final. Mm -hmm. is, uh, since 2006, there's been five finals with two or more hour time changes. The home team in the West is 13-3 and three in those 16 games. Yeah, it makes sense because they're used to the travel, right? Yeah. Well, the Devils and the Rangers look lost when they got to L.A. Now, part of that is L.A. was a better team was than a really good both team. those teams. But Boston won the Cup, and they only won one game. They struggled with Vancouver. They yeah. won one of the four games out here and had to win all three at home. Yeah. Because um, so. those, those Eastern teams aren't used to it. I mean, they sleep in their beds most nights. They have really short travel. And the Western teams, I mean... If you compare the mileage that the Sharks have had this year compared to the Penguins, it would be like 4-1. to one. And never mind that, Pittsburgh hasn't been out of their own time zone in the whole playoffs. They haven't been out of their time zone since they played Chicago, which is one time zone away in January. <laughs> and they haven't been to California since before Sullivan was the coach. Right. They came out here in December. That's when uh, Johnson got fired, was out here when they played the Kings after they throttled the Sharks for 5-1. to one. And then, um, yeah, so they haven't been out to California since December, and they have like five or six guys on their team that have never played a game in California with a three-hour time difference, including their goalie. <laughs> All right, well, there is that. There we go. Well, do you think that, that like, that's sort of like jet lag? And I mean, obviously the Western teams travel way more. Do you think that hurts a team like San Jose? Are they burned out from all the travel at this point? No, I think it's an advantage in this series for them if they have any chance of making it a series is that they're more used to the back and forth. I mean, the Nashville series was lots of miles, but they're just, their bodies are programmed to it. It's why they don't practice as much. It's why Pete DeBoer gives them a lot more time off the ice because they're, they've programmed themselves as to how this works. I think it's a way bigger impediment to Pittsburgh because it's so, it's so new and different to them. Having said that, the one good thing for Pittsburgh heading into Game 3 here is that they had double off days. I think that if it was a normal schedule, playing that Game 3 with only one day off and yeah. a three-hour time zone would have been would have hit them like a two-by-four. But now they've had an extra day to find their sea legs, and that might be good for Pittsburgh. And the other thing is it's a, it's a 5 o'clock start here, which keeps them on their 8 o'clock body clock. 
um, back home, they're not. Like in the regular season, you have to adjust to the time here. You play at 7.30 local time. It's yeah. 10.30. Ian Cole told me last night, sometimes you feel like you're falling asleep in the third period um, <laughs> because you don't you don't stay up that late to play hockey. And if, God forbid, it goes into overtime. But with the 5 o'clock start, it's more on their yeah. traditional schedule. The morning gets messed up. Nobody, very few guys skated today. Pittsburgh did not go on the ice. But, so their morning routine gets messed up, but the game itself is kind of... On their cycle. Why no afternoon games anymore in, in, in the finals, or even the playoffs, really? I think it's just to get the primetime audience in the East on TV. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> More it, eyeballs. People are asking about that. It's like, yeah, I guess, I guess, well, I guess, I don't know. It's weird. Like, Saturday night is a terrible TV night. So the lowest ratings in, in TV. But, so I w- in wonder, Can- but in Canada, where Hot ah, Canada okay. still carries a big stick, Saturday night is a must. That's true. So. That's and true. we Sorry. did a couple of a uh, couple afternoon games, either leading in to or coming out of NBC's big coverage of horse racing or mm-hmm. other events that they have on. They like to do it as a bumper bumper program. But I think once you get to the third and fourth rounds, you're going to put all your games in prime time. Hey, look, I'm all for it because this way I can at least get some work done during the day and then see it <laughs> at night. But I think we can all universally agree there's no way in hell the Sharks are going to win this series. I don't know. Like, I, I you know. Everyone felt that after the Bruins left Vancouver down 0-2. That's just the memory that sticks with me. It was yeah. like they have no idea how to play the Vancouver Canucks. Everyone had written them off. Yeah, are the odds with San Jose? Of course not. Uh, but but I just I, I don't like writing a team off until I've seen them play a home game. That's just one of my cardinal rules. Ask me after Game Three, I'll give you a better answer. Yeah, well, yeah, and well, I, yeah, of course. I think if memory serves right, they lost the Bruins lost one game by one goal, and then they got shut out. And those were the two games in Vancouver, but it was close. But it was close, but Vancouver seemed like the superior team. Mm -hmm. And then they went back to Boston, and Boston won 8-1. The home crowd got them going, you know. Yeah, and basically demoralized. I don't think the Canucks ever came back from that. That led to the Luongo pumping Tim Thomas's tires, and they just lost the plot. After You don't know how a team's going to react until it loses. Like, that's, that's the thing you have to kind of get a read-off, and Pittsburgh hasn't lost yet in a, in, in a long time between mm-hmm. the Eastern Conference Final, they won the last two four games. Four-game win now. streak, yeah. Yeah, but it's a four-game win streak over like two and a half weeks because of the time off, so mm-hmm. it's been a long time since they've tasted a loss and had to process that. So so I have, a, I have a major bone to pick with you media people. Uh-oh. Oh Uh-oh. It's driving me crazy about this series is <clears throat> all the media, not necessarily present company, but you can at least speak for the media. And I'm not media, obviously. Uh, whole thing about this crazy speed in this series, and there's so mm. much speed, yada, yada. There's no speed in this series. These teams are playing extremely slow. Game two was one of the most boring Stanley Cup final games I've ever seen in my entire life. It's super defensive. There's quickness here and there, but there's mm. not... I don't find any team speed. Like I understand why they're saying this, because some of the guys on each team mm-hmm. play fast, but... W- is this something that they're trying to put out there just so people get interested? I don't understand. So here's what we mean when we say that. Uh, first of all, you're right. Game two was was pretty boring compared to game one. I thought game one was outstanding. Yeah, game one was great. Um, I still didn't see a lot of but, speed. Well, the reason we're talking about the Penguin speed is that it's 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 creating havoc in the Sharks' breakout, which no other team in the West was able to do during the San Jose's run. The Sharks were able to go back and retrieve the puck and clean out without having the Kings, Predators, or Blues lay a lick on them. Why? Because we felt the Sharks had a bit of an edge in foot speed over those three teams, particularly over L.A. and St. Louis. So those teams weren't able to forecheck against San Jose. So the Sharks have been able to have this clean, smooth breakout the whole spring until now. Penguins are going in there and are creating turnovers 
and are having the Sharks defensemen turn awkwardly, look over their shoulder, suddenly, because of the Penguins' speed, so you think it's, it's more the, of a defensive thing. Do you think it's anything. the speed more than just the, the style of play? Because it seems like to me it's more the system. Like the Penguin system plays. But the Penguin system is up tempo. Definitely up tempo. Well, not as up tempo as it used to be, but yeah. definitely more up tempo than it was certainly under Johnson. Yeah. But I'm noticing that they're positionally. They're you're right. They're they're clogging the neutral zone. They're they're creating problems for the Sharks coming out. But aside from from Hagelin and a couple of guys in the Penguins, I don't know that they're that. But again, there, there are a couple of plays in, oh, so far in this series where the Penguins just like to flip the puck out when they're in danger. Yep, yep. That's the weird, simple thing. It's like this 1970s all over again with them. Don Cherry. But when they're doing it, the Penguins forwards are actually getting behind the Sharks defensemen. A lot of those flips, the Sharks defensemen are getting turned around, and that is that's the skating ability of a lot of those players. Sharks haven't seen this in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, look, they play. The Kings are not fast. The, the, the Blues are not fast neither. I mean, none of those teams. Nashville's speed. the fastest of the three, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, they had the most trouble with them. But and you just see it, like, the two or three reverse passes behind the net before they can get going. Like, they've never right. done that in the playoffs. Like, almost that blind reverse pass. Mm-hmm. Then they try to make the long pass out that they could make in the first three rounds, and somebody's intercepting it because they can't gauge the speed. And, and, like, Joe Thornton can't do... He basically played the first three rounds in the defensive zone on the blue line. Yeah, pushing the breakup, pushing yeah. their D back. He can't do it this round. Well, and also, I mean, <clears throat> you know, all, with all due respect to the Sharks and so I mean, those guys, I mean, Joe Thornton's not a playoff guy. I mean, you know, he doesn't come up big in the playoffs yet. Uh, I disagree yeah, with that, I disagree Brian. with that, too. I, I think that's a great that's myth a, that's, that's been a, exposed. That's a pretty good I, I, Well, let me, in, let me in rephrase 20, that. 2011 conference finals, he played with a separated shoulder. I, it was amazing. I totally agree. I, I, let I, me rephrase that. When, when the... When it I mean, become, he hasn't won a cup. That's legit. Yeah. I mean, that's legit. Well, in the bigger games, I'm not like I mean, he's obviously a great player, Hall of Famer, amazing player. But I've noticed, and maybe it just is back to me watching that Kings series where the Kings won four in a row. That they just seemed like well, the Sharks just stopped playing. He, and in well, general, they you're a Kings fan, so so your view of the Sharks until this I year like Sharks, uh, uh, cannot be too complimentary because the Kings have owned them. But and not only that, if you go back to that four game run and you look at the Sharks' depth. It was, was it was disastrous. Oh no! Yeah, like they were rolling guys out that didn't belong on that stage, and so the the Kings could just load up. Well, that's the one thing the Kings did, and they changed now. It's like you got to have four lines. Like mm-hmm. that's where that's where Pittsburgh, I think, is really have has the advantage. I mean, that Benino Haglin Kessel line, which I guess is theoretically the third line. I mean, that's by far been their best. I, I line. would argue probably Malkin's the third line now. But probably, yeah, way, I would agree. It's crazy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that and, line's been amazing. And I thought that was going to be a problem for San Jose last round against St. Louis because St. Louis started the series with Steen centering one line, Laterra centering Tarasenko. And Paul Stashley centering Brower uh, and Fabry, which have been their hottest line going into the conference finals. And I just remember thinking, how is Chris Tierney, the third-line center for San Jose, going to match up with either Laterra or Stashley? And he did. I mean, that was one of the great storylines of the Western Finals, that this rookie for San Jose actually went up against those guys, and it was not a matchup problem at all. It has been now. I mean, now the lines have been jumbled a million times because of Pittsburgh's. And as good as the Blues are, they got no superstars. They have a lot of really good players, but no superstars. Where you I, got? I think Tarasenko is a superstar. He just he was terrible in the Western Final. Yeah, yeah. Forty goal score. It's hard to score goals in this. But league. he was terrible yeah. in the Western Conference Final in part because of Mark Edward Vlasic. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you look back, and he hasn't had a good first two games of the playoff, but he's begging to go against Crosby. He begged yesterday, said, I need to play against him. In yeah. the first three rounds, he went against Toffoli, who's a 40-goal scorer. He went against Forsberg, Forsberg who's a 40-goal scorer. And he went against uh, Tarasenko. Tarasenko. Shut them all down. They had, until Tarasenko scored twice in game six after everything was decided, they had one goal. Those two and, guys and, and had one goal. Vlasic was my featured column yesterday well, this on ESPN.com because he, to me, thank you. should be mentioned. Yes. Like when people are saying, look at these stars in this series, Burns and Latang and Crosby and Thornton and Podolsky. Classic should be right in that group. Yep. In the same he was one of my three finalists for the Consweith coming into this. Yeah. Into this, well, but that's because I covered the San Jose the whole time, right? Part of it, you get a little bit of the Stockholm syndrome, and you think the players you're watching well, are the best. Well, players. no, I think the, the but problem. He's been so good. Like yeah. Burns gets all the attention because he's so flashy, and he's really good. But, but Classic is yeah. so calm. You know, it's kind of like the Paul Martin, right? Like the same kind of thing. And Paul has not looked great in the first two games of the series, but, but this maybe is the with the matchup change. This is the happen. East Coast bias. This stuff drives me crazy because, I mean, obviously being on the West Coast, I see the Sharps all the time. And Vlasic, to me, is, is one of the top five defensemen in the league. Has been for quite a long Thank time. Thank you for saying but it. I've been beating that drum for a long nobody time. Nobody <laughs> knows about it because he plays out here. And even, you know, Dowdy, to a certain degree, is, is undervalued because crazy he plays that he out hasn't here, Norris yet. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. and, and, even, and, and, but the thing is, I will say, at least in Canada, where, you know, hockey's king, Vlasic's uh, perception changed a bit after Steve Eisman picked him for the Olympics and so Good. people are like Good. and then they picked yeah, them yeah. and then they picked them early for World Cup early for World Cup and people are like what do you do and there's all these great D out there yeah. he's he's but he's better than all of them oh, but he's not but he's not a guy that gets on Sports Center every night no. because a lot of what he does is so See, subtle and mm-hmm. put the puck in a soft area where there's no danger it's but it's you know Mike Babcock I interviewed Mike Babcock for the piece I wrote and he goes. That's the high IQ, steady, consistent play that I want as a coach. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, but people from the outside look at it. It was the same thing when Paul Martin played in Pittsburgh, and they're mm-hmm. like, he never gets hit as a bad thing. Like, he's right. clearly not going to get the puck. He's afraid to go in the corner because he never gets yeah, hit. Ridiculous. He never looks like he's laboring because he never is laboring. He's they're, These guys are so smart, but because they play the game so well, they're never in a danger area. They never mm-hmm. make the plays that Brent Burns makes because Brent brings himself into these. He basically plays drop-in hockey. He's a rover. He's a rover. Right. He yeah. plays drop-in hockey in the Stanley Cup <laughs> Finals. So he's always in these crazy sure. places. And then he gets himself out, and everybody's like, "Wow, look at the skill." Same on that with guy. Latang. Same with Latang. Yeah, but then you got Vlasic, who would never ever put himself in that situation. Always yeah. makes the smart play, and people are like. He's just not motivated. He just he just doesn't work. Well, but I think hard. it's also you know people just don't see him. Again, you know the East Coast guys. No, you know, staying up until one o'clock in the morning watching it's the Sharks. One play. of my big beasts. Exactly. Exactly. Trust me. It Steve, Steve Eisen, drives me nuts. Uh, for this piece, I referred to Vlasic as being Lidstrom like. Yep. I know that's a everyone take a deep breath, but in the <laughs> in the sense of the simple play, not the highlight play. That's how Lidstrom was often, and that's wow. what he sees in Vlasic. Don't get me started on Lidstrom. Overrated. Oh my goodness, that's for another podcast. Exactly, that could do a whole podcast. Great player, but overrated. Anyway, um, so yeah, well, it's it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, the East Coast thing drives me crazy. And I mean, I I so, somewhat understand it because I spent a lot of time there, and it's even tough for me to stay up and watch the games. Oh, yeah. But you know, so many good players out here that just get just so get little credit, especially Vasek. I mean, the guy he's been he's been this good for like five or six years, not just like oh geez, and it's not like a finals. He's good yeah. now. But you know, I wrote about this before the finals, and I said it. it when the players are out here, Ben Lovejoy was in Anaheim for many years, and Ben said in the Anaheim room, every day they'd have the East Coast games at 4 p.m. as they got ready. And even at home on the off day, the games are on, on at 4, you're watching a ton of East, Eastern Conference hockey, because it's on at a perfect time in your day. 
He said as soon as he got traded to Pittsburgh, he stopped watching West Coast hockey because he's in bed at ten Eastern. Yep, yep. And, and it's just a it's an odd thing, but it's but you really see the bias. The, the Justin Braun of the Sharks was saying they watch a ton of Eastern Conference hockey because it's on. It's on at four, you know, Pacific time. It's not the same on the other side. I mean, it, it, there's there's not the same level of knowledge. I don't think it has an impact at the end of the day, but it's just interesting when you hear that. Speaking, speaking of the, well, we're talking about the Penguins, obviously, as well. So, and you know, I, maybe just I haven't been paying attention, but what, wasn't Mario selling the team at some point? That's kind of quieted down now. <laughs> it's still technically for sale. Gary Bettman uh, at a State of the Union address updated that situation and said that, you know, him and Ron Burkle, Ron Burkle's the majority owner. Yep. You know, they looked at their options, looked at what was offered, and haven't found anything they like. So it's sort of status quo right now. So now the rumor is, and I actually know people, I actually know a good friend of mine is strangely enough very good friends with Ron Burke, a guy you'd never expect in a million years. Right. So the rumor was that <clears throat> when Johnson was a coach and when they hired Rutherford and they kind of, the Penguins for the first time went away from up tempo, fast hockey, that Lemieux was really upset mm. and Burkle was the one making these decisions and the two kind of for the first time butted heads and Brian mm. was like, I'm out. And then obviously now Sullen's come in and they play more up tempo, clearly the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. Maybe everything's okay. I, is that just a rumor? Am I talking I haven't crazy? Heard, I haven't heard any of that, but All who right. knows? All I mean, right. I, mean I will say this. There's no question that Mario would be a guy that given his criticism of the league when he was a player. Oh, yes. That loves a certain aesthetic style of hockey. No question about that. And I agree 100% with his view yeah. of that. I would I would call it a garage league as well back then. <laughs> there you go. There was a famous quote. <laughs> That's right. But how about, how about Jimmy Rutherford? Oh, my God. He what a goes run. from being a complete incompetent in Pittsburgh, the media just filleting him on every turn. They couldn't make a right move to an architect of a team that's two wins from the Stanley Cup. Well, you couldn't and, and make a right move, and then he finally made some of the right moves. But some of it was longer term. I mean, he, of course, he made some mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes when they're trying to build a team. But when you think about this team, even two years removed, how many guys? How many guys are left? It's the core and all these guys you've never heard of that are delivering or really astute trades. The Hagelin trade, um, getting Ian Cole. Trevor Daly. He's Trevor trade Daly. of the year in the NHL. Yeah. Basically got him for nothing. Yeah, that was yeah. crazy. But it's amazing that his role reversal. His resurgence. Yeah. yeah. Which really wasn't really a resurgence if you were paying attention. Like there was always a plan there, but it's such a yeah. immediate dividend league that you're like, oh my god. Well, but got, but actually, the perception of both these jams in the Cup final has changed in the last twelve months. Now. Oh yeah, Doug Wilson, you're sort of like wondering what his job security was a year ago this time, as he was retooling the club and and his moves in the last twelve months. Paul Martin, Joel Ward, Jonas Donskoy for nothing last May as a free agent. Unbelievable. Um, and of course, the trade for Martin Jones, exactly. which is the best That's move the of big, all, because yep. he he had to find a way to steal him out of L.A. from a rival, and found a way once that guy went to Boston for five days. And Dean Lombardi didn't know that. I think I think I've had this conversation with Dean Lombardi. He had a feeling that that San Jose was going to find a way, but yeah. he gave it his best shot, traded him to the East. You know, what I mean, yeah, what yeah. else can you do as yeah. a, as a Kings GM? I mean. That's the problem when you're developing too much talent. Ah, there you go. The, I mean, <laughs> I mean look at Bernier, Jones. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Zatkoff, yeah. The, the third goalie in this series for Pittsburgh. Yeah. He, was, he was their product. Um, yeah. Right. Bernier I mean, and Toronto, yeah. Well, they need more defensemen. So, all right, so there's the Stanley Cup final. So we were talking last night about Las Vegas. Right. And, and this hopeful, hopeful, hopeful crossing fingers Las Vegas team. <laughs> hey, it's near me. It'd be great. You know, 45 minute plane flight. 
Uh, I personally think, because you know, I I, uh, I had a residence in Phoenix for a long period of time before the NHL got there, and seeing that city kind of rise up to where it is now, and kind of, I mean, I'll tell you the first thing is that if if and when the Coyotes move back downtown, that that they'll sell out every game. It'll be a hugely yeah. successful franchise. They're out in the middle of nowhere now. It takes an hour and a half for all the people with money to get there. That's why the team's up doing well. Mm-hmm. But Vegas is very similar, where you know it's the largest city in the, in the country that does not have a pro sports team, and these and there's people moving there constantly, and they want a team there. That team, I guarantee you, they'll sell out every game there. It'll be a huge success. Yeah, if it happens, which it better. It, it's hard to decipher when I talk to governors. I get a really mixed response, but the bottom line is this. If, if, if the executive committee, which is a small ownership group, next week they meet, and if their recommendation is to expand the Vegas, then they will happen. There's no way they'll lose that vote. in the $500 million. Dollars. Yeah. Well, but even that has generated a mixed response for me from different teams. If you're a rich <laughs> team, if you're a if you're Yeah, what do you care? Yeah. You worry about five years from now, is Vegas going to have their hand in the revenue share and cookie jar? If you're a have-not franchise... <laughs> And you're des- you're hemorrhaging right now. You want your piece of the five hundred million right now. So so there is a. But this, but this that, is there's a, a long term. Now the pie gets split thirty one ways, exactly. not thirty TV ways. Deal, everything. So yeah. like you make all that money up front, but there's some owners who again are looking long term, and they're mm-hmm. like, I get a little bit less of a piece every year now. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, the, the the larger the league, the stronger it is. But but see, this is again to me again being a West Coast guy. This is another East Coast West Coast bias where mm-hmm. he's like, no teams are going to survive out there. Look at Arizona and blah 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 blah. But I mean, the Sharks, massive success, incredible success years. story. Yeah. The Kings have sold out. I, they might have sold out more games in a row than almost any other team in the, in the league for a long, even. When the Kings were great, they were yeah. selling out games there. Uh, Anaheim does extremely well. You know, all these teams out here, and I, as I said, Arizona, when they were downtown, they were great. Even and, in a building that didn't you. make if, sense. If they end up building that rink with, uh, with, the, with, with the college team uh, at Tempe, which is what they're looking at. No, they're looking oh, now back at, to the, at, back at, to that. I think they're looking at building a rink with the uh, NCAA hockey team. That'd be great. Uh, ASU uh, in Tempe is the rumor yep, I heard, and, yep. and if they do that, that's right near Scottsdale. That's a great yeah. area to be in. Well, anywhere downtown or in Tempe, anywhere where all the people are, right? <laughs> have money, the actual people who really live. It would be like it would be like putting a team in Toronto and saying, okay, we're going to put it like forty-five miles out, like past Mississauga or something. Well, in the middle some of people want to do for a second team, but yeah. <laughs> But uh, it'll, it'll be successful. I, I guarantee I you Vegas. You. I mean, I like being in Vegas and talking to the people out there, I mean, they sold 13,000 season ticket deposits. Like, people out there are freaking out. I mean, the Raiders very well move out there. My theory is once the domino falls of the first pro sports team going to Vegas, in five years you'll have all four major sports. Right. They'll all end up being there because it's it's a huge win for everybody. It's a big city. It's a growing mm-hmm. city. There's a lot of money there. You do have the tourists coming in. But more importantly, the people that live there want something to do other than and, and, and from that point alone, I think it's worth it for the NHL to be the first in. I think exactly. There's, I think there's a cachet there, and the other thing that would be beneficial of expanding to Vegas, I think, is adding a 15th team to the Western Conference. Right now, it's a 16-14 yes. split, and believe me, Gary Bettman, Gary Bettman does not want to ever realign again under his helm because that was a very stressful situation when they were trying to get Detroit and Columbus back east. All the owners were pitted against each other. That's uncomfortable when you're commissioner. Sure. To have all your bosses, you know. Well, so, eventually, though, they're going to have to realign because some some point Seattle's going to build an arena. At some point, they're going to want a team. But no, but that, but then you'd be then you'd be sixteen and sixteen. Exactly, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That, yeah. that would be perfect. I'm saying he doesn't realign. It means shifting teams around. east to yeah, west. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. want that. All right, well, that's good. But uh, trust me, Vegas will be successful. And the bottom line, and then we can move on to something else in Vegas, is that there's a lot of money there. I guarantee you, every single one of those corporate boxes is going to be sold out for mm-hmm. every single one of those games because you know, I mean. They, 
all the casinos and the people building restaurants at the casinos. And I mean, it's it's insane there. So it'll be great. I feel like uh, you're excited about this. I'm I'm super excited. And, and the and the owner Bill Foley's a big wine guy. So yes, I, I heard Pierre already has his resume in for the job. I, I, I think Scott Burnside is going to beat me to that, given his trips to Vegas. There's going to be a little ESPN warfare for the <laughs> for the Las Vegas bureau. Yeah, there'll be, be a huge the West Coast that. bureau. Like that's a great that's a great run. Like there's a lot of European guys, uh, newspaper guys that live on the West Coast, and they basically do L.A. Anaheim, San Jose. And um, Vancouver, and uh, now they can add <laughs> now they can add Vegas to it. I'm laughing because Scott Burnside just came up and flipped us off. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing, buddy? Anytime, anytime you want to call somebody up from the miners, I'm happy. All right. You've already been on, so you you know we'll get you on again. I'll send you a note, buddy. So another thing I'm excited about, uh, and I don't know if you guys are not the World Cup. I'm yes. actually going. I think, I think I'm going to all of it except that except not fest is in the middle when the semifinals are. I might have to fly back to LA for that, which is not making me happy. But are, are we it's now excited? Fest and Oz Fest together. Together, right? yeah, yeah. So yes. I'm a bit screwed on that. But. I'm. Uh, oh, really? I'm chuffed to bits, as they would say in England, about uh, about the World Cup. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, it's a great way to start a season in Toronto, which is a great city to start it in. Yeah, in September. Like, uh, nice weather. Is, yeah, beautiful weather. Yeah, it's a good time and, of year. And, uh, yeah, maybe a little trip to Europe before that for training camp. Lucky you. Maybe. We'll see. Um, do you want to do that? Yeah, man. Oh, okay. Always. Always. I, and I think it'll be one of those things, judging from previous World Cups and before that, the Canada Cups. Mm-hmm. Canada Cups invented this event, mm-hmm. where it doesn't really get that much buzz until the game starts. And then as soon as the first game is played, you'll see, you know, all of Canada go crazy and hopefully a lot of the U.S. But it's not an event that tends to get a lot of summer buildup because people are still on vacation and they're yep. summering. And so it's just sort of overnight. Well, it's funny about that because I was, <clears throat> I wanted to go and I have, uh, we're distributed by Sony up in Canada. So they have, they have season tickets to the leave. So they had some tickets. But I was thinking like, I kind of, maybe I'll just get tickets on my own just so I have them and not worry about it. But I was like, ah, is it just going to sell out really quick? And I don't know, a couple weeks ago I went on, they still have great tickets. Mm-hmm. And thankfully the Canadian dollar is really low. So yeah, that's good for That you. really helped me. Uh, but I ended up getting two, two really good, a pair of really good tickets just a couple weeks ago. So yeah, it seems like the ticket sales shockingly are a bit slow for that. But well, I agree. I think they're they're charging up. a ton and, and not only are they charging a ton, they're, they're, they're making you buy packages where you can't just buy a game, you know? Yeah. That. So yeah, that's, that's true. I, th- I know from having colleagues who were just you know regular hockey fans they were a little I think they, they felt kind of trapped by that you know? that's true I, I, I do get that but, but we're but you know we're excited uh, you know it's on ESPN World Cup's on ESPN that's right so, crazy uh, that's cool ESPN it's is having hockey, hockey on ESPN yeah that's nice that means I guess we have to listen to Steve Levy and very yeah man my, my buddies <laughs> Steve's awesome I like yeah I like that it's on there. Hopefully there's no glowing puck. Oh, that was Fox. So that I'm was Fox. Come on now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, that is crazy. You might even see me on there myself. You know. Maybe, yeah, that's right. You and you and Scott, Scott Burnside and Craig Custance, Joe McDonald, Joe Custance. McDonald with yeah, his right. Rhode Island accent. Of course, I'll be in good. Canada, so I'll be watching TSN or no, it's, who's on, catching it's it? on Sportsnet. It's Sportsnet. On, uh, okay. Whoever's my competitor showing it up there, I'll, yeah. I'll be. I won't be able to see the ESPN thing because I'll be there. Correct. You'll have to DVR it all. I'll probably DVR some of it. Well, I, I have to, I, like I said, I probably have to fly back for those two shows, so I'll have to watch the semifinals from, from here. But I think it's good. I went to the last one, and, and for, for a fan, it's like you have all the best players in the world obviously playing for their country. Mm-hmm. And it's also at the beginning of the season, so they're just fresh, excited. Like, 
as much as I love the Olympics, and I went to the 2002 Olympics, and it was a great tournament. I was there too, yeah. You know, in the middle of the season, you know, guy, you know, there's a lot of guys banged up, and you know, some go, some don't go. So I actually, as a fan, think that this is a better tournament purely for the hockey part of it than even right. the Olympics. Because the guys are healthy. Yeah. Healthy, ready to go. There is there is a debate about that. Um, there are some at the NHLPA that, that think that a February tournament would have the players up in, at their peak rhythm. Because, That's true. Because players tend to build up their rhythm uh, in the fall going into the season. But Certainly a gold medal, Olympic gold medal is an impressive thing to have. Yeah. But, I, but anyway, I think it's the only time to have it really given the time frame that it takes to pull off this tournament. Now, let me ask you this. Mr. Heavy Metal, um, the rest of Europe, you know, you, you talk about countries. Well, there's two teams in our countries, of course, the 24 and under North American team, mm-hmm. 23 and under North American team, and, of course, the rest of Europe all-star team. I, I, You know, what anthem do you play? So for me, for the rest of Europe, I think you should play Final Countdown by Europe. There you go. That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, what Yeah, what do they play for that? They're going to come they'll, up with some... They'll have to come up with some generic... Uh, let's talk to Metallica about coming up with some generic anthem for, for them and a North American team. Yeah. That'd be fun. That's right, I forgot about that. Yeah, you should get, like, a European Metal Blade All-Star team... Sure. ...to make an anthem. House band. Yeah. We'll get a house band to do it. That's, a good, that's actually a good idea. So, Well, go. maybe they're just not going to play anthems. They're going to have to, though, right? No, they don't have to. So this is an NHL-NHLPA tournament. They're not governed by AAHF rules. Ah. So, in fact, I, I think it might have been mentioned on March 2nd in Toronto when they announced the first rock uh, that they may not. It was still in debate. I think Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner, said about whether the anthems would be played after every game or not. I think that was still... but. You know, this isn't an international. This isn't governed by WHF. This is NHL, NHLPA, and it'll be all NHL rules on an NHL rink. Yeah, um, it'll look like an yeah. NHL game. It won't look like a like a world, like an Olympic game. Or yeah. So um, now that being said, the Olympics. We're talking about the Olympics. So is it going to happen, or not? Kind of looks like it may not now, right? Well, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of posturing happening right now, but uh, certainly, you know, Thomas Bach is the new president of the IOC. And with the change in leadership that IOC has come a change of uh, opinion on pro athletes in the Olympics, not just hockey players, but it, the NBA is going to face this when, at some point too. But he, in the initial meetings that have occurred, Thomas Bach, has, uh, the IOC has indicated that they, they're not interested in paying the same level of cost for the players in terms of uh, ensuring the contracts and travel and accommodation, which has always been paid for in all the Olympics since Nagano. So do you think, not to interrupt you, but do you think that because it's in Korea and it, like, who's going to go to these games and might not mm. be empty arenas up there maybe or something, that that might play into part of, part of it where they don't really need it to be there? If it was in Europe or somewhere else, you know that you're going to have a lot of people going to the games. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the thing is, if, if the NHL and the NHLPA pull out now, they're not going to go back in for Beijing. You can't start skipping games. And I think that's been communicated already, is that the NHL and NHLPA would like to make this great 10-year investment in that part of the world between China and South Korea. Sure. But they don't want to pick and choose. They want to have this huge investment. And, of course, China is the bigger investment. I mean, that's where you can really have growth for the sport. And, I mean, there's Chinese broadcasters covering the Stanley Cup Finals yep. for the second year in a row, which is a bit of a hint. But... So what, what do you think the... Because to me, I look at it, I go, the Olympics are generating insane amounts of money. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> so clearly, whatever they're going to be paying for the players and all the stuff isn't is a drop in the bucket compared to everything else. There's got to be some sort of isn't there an, like an underlying reason behind yeah. that? Well, I don't know. Like Thomas Bach, I was, he, if you go back and Google one of his quote about NBA players from ten years ago when he was lower on the totem pole of the IOC, he, he he had talked back then on the record about you know why we pampering these pro athletes. So he, this has been something in his bonnet for a long time, and now that he's in charge, you could see to see the red flags coming. Like the league was ready for this, but. It's not totally a drop in the bucket. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the, the escalation of the insurance for player contracts every four years is massive. I mean, you know, you're talking players that show up to the Olympics with $50 million contracts. Someone has to insure that. Sure. And the interesting thing is, Brian, is that traditionally the Olympics has pitted the, the PA against the league, the players against the owners, because the players want to go no matter what, and the owners have never been that crazy about the Olympics. But the thing is, this time, the PA and the owners are on the same page when it comes to this particular issue, which is, if you guys aren't paying, then we got a problem. So if the NHL doesn't go, will there still be hockey at the Olympics? It's going to be college and... Yeah, minor, it, it, it'll, be, it'll be some some version of what it was before, which so is... Our buddy Mike McKenna might be able to go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you just... You know, the U.S. and Canada in particular used to have to diagram teams. I mean, obviously, you have the great college team in 1980, Miracle on Ice, but, you know, like Canada and Albertville had a team with Eric Lindros, because he was holding out from the Quebec Nordique, so that made him eligible. In 94, in Lillehammer, there was a young Peter Forsberg playing for the gold medalist Swedes, and a young Paul Creo playing for Canada, so there was always these weird sort of scenarios where a couple of great players made their way to the Olympics, you know? Yeah, that could be uh, Sean Burke, right? Yeah, Sean Burke played for Canada. Because um, he was holding out in New Jersey. So, but different, but in, but we used to love it because that's all we knew. Sure. And now the genie's out of the ball. You've seen the best on best format. It's hard to. But do you think it's partially because there's a World Cup now as well, where it's you know two years from now because there's a World Cup, and do you think that well, I guess it didn't really have anything to do with the NHL or NHLPA, but certainly you think the Olympics are not happy with that? It's like, well, now you're having your own tournament that's competing with us more or less. I, I don't get that sense. I, I really sense this is the new. Where uh, I, I, it's more about this new president that I see that has this thing about pro athletes. So, you know. Yeah. And you know what? To play devil's advocate, I guess maybe he's saying, you guys are loaded. Like, why are we paying for this? You know? Sure. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could see both sides. Well, they one, the one thing that you would argue back is they own everything, right? It's right. the Olympics. They own the images, they own the rights. They, the NHL yeah. goes there and they get. Nothing. Yeah. In they, fact, the, the golden just getting goal, the highlights on HL Network, right? The golden goal doesn't appear anywhere. The yeah. the, the Crosby Golden Goal because there's no rights to it. Like yeah. you're you're providing the product, and then somebody else is turning around and saying, "We own it." Yeah. You know, good luck with this. And so the players don't get paid, obviously. Other no than insurance. And, and actually, yeah, combinations. And, you know, we could even have a larger discussion of all that. All this when you look at the the, the problems in Rio with the upcoming Summer no, yeah. Olympics and. And, you know, the rumors about corruption with uh, Tokyo getting the Olympic. Like, there's so much going on in terms of what's going on with the IOC, right? On. I mean, corruption in the Olympics? Well, Wait, I, what? I know, what? I know. That's but I guess my point is, what's the future of the Olympics themselves? That's true. But the, the other overriding thing is there's a core of very influential players who want to play for their national team every time they play. Yeah. Remember with Ovechkin Russia, with threats. Ovechkin, yeah. and he was going to go, and he was going to play no matter what. You can't stop me. This is my country. He's not the only guy that feels like that. There's a lot of guys that yeah. playing for their team, their national team, is as important as anything that they do. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I mean, I guess that would be the ultimate question: is Are you willing to risk your in, entire NHL contract if you get hurt without insurance? I guess I don't think anybody. Would. I don't really. I don't, know. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, or they would. I mean, look, or pay would, for their own insurance. Exactly. I was yeah. going to say. I don't think anybody's going to go over yeah. there and not pay for their own insurance. But maybe, yeah, maybe a guy like Ovechkin would say, like, oh, I'm going to pay for my insurance and do it. All right. That would be interesting because then. Uh, was he going to take a leave of absence from the team for well, he, three he weeks? He said in the past that he would risk suspension, like if he got suspended, so be it. Wow, interesting. Well, it, it, I don't know that that would ever happen, but it illustrates how passionately yeah. a lot of players feel about playing for their country. Now, it's the most important thing they can do. Now, he was saying that for an Olympics at home yeah, in Russia. of course. Which would matter the most. Sure. So, you know, I'll, so I'll just put t- playing devil's advocate. I mean, I'm just going to say something stupid just to say it. But right. So maybe that's one of the reasons why he doesn't play so well in the playoffs here because he gets to go, especially this year, world he got to go to the World Championships <laughs> in Russia this year. No, I uh, let me tell I'm, you, I, I, know, I, I was know. standing in the visitor's dressing room in Pittsburgh when uh, Washington was knocked out by the Penguins and the look on Alex Ovechkin's face sure. Why do you had think, a lot of pain in it. Well, this was the year. This yeah. was, was going to be it when all the demons were exercised. Yeah, why do you think, I mean, look, clearly the top one or two players in the league and, you know, one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. How is it that he hasn't won a, a Stanley Cup yet? I mean, he's, he's been around good teams. I mean, this year, Caps team this year was really good. Yeah, and he played well, too. It's not on him, but, but I have this theory, and it's completely not proven out, and it's completely anecdotal, but I'm convinced that you, you can only build your team around a number one defenseman or a number one center or the combination of that, that it's hard to build a team around a, a franchise winger. Centers and defensemen have more control over a nice sheet, and it's just a weird thing I've always held on to is that you build down the middle and on defense, and, and you know, for yeah. You know, for all those Detroit teams with Eisman and Fedorov and Lidstrom on the fence and go on and on and on, sure. the Oilers, the Habs. I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like when your highest paid player is a winger, he's, he doesn't really, you know, he needs someone to get him the puck. There's all, I, I got all kinds of theories about it, but that's, that's one interesting, of my weird though. Ones. I think you're, he I doesn't think you're right. The, the defensive side of the ice I mean. very much. Um, and, and it's just hard. It's hard to win a cup, man. I mean, look at San Jose's story, right? They finally get here. I mean, it's a lot of parody. You know, a lot of good teams. Uh, I mean, I, I would argue that, and I wrote it, that Washington should not, don't give up now. Like, it just because oh, you no. lost again. I mean. And it's I, very similar to the last time they gave up, right? Like, yeah. when they lost to Montreal and, you know, a red-hot goalie. And yeah. they blew the whole thing up. They are like, well, that's it. We got we to gotta try something else. But and that, drives, back. That, that stuff drives me nuts. <clears throat> and, like, the Ducks are a great example of that. Like, here's a team that two years in a row lost in the seventh game to the, the eventual Stanley Cup winner. Right. And they just blow the team up. I mean, not the big guys, but they blow up all the, the role the player guys. Cast, yeah. And they... Were and it's interesting, a like, disaster for a large part this year. And Bob Murray, the GM, criticized himself around Christmas time for that decision. But it, it, it's easy to nitpick after the fact. I mean, what I liked about but, but, it, but, 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 but I like the courage in it because what he was saying is, even though we were one goal or one win away from the Stanley Cup final, he didn't like the way that three years in a row they lost a series that they were up three-two in. And so he was looking at it more big yeah, picture. Yeah, but, but my theory, though, is that if you're so close and you have a team that's so close, and it is hard to win and you know, guys yeah. have to be healthy and all this, you're, you're just so close, why blow? I mean, if you look at history, teams that blow them up after that, I mean, mm-hmm. the Canucks got to the Stanley Cup finals, you know, kind of blew up the team, or, or guys left for whatever reason, you can't you know, mm-hmm. get back. And the Ducks now, I, I mean, as much as I, I like I think them, there's a lot to build around there. There's a lot of good young talent there, but 
you know, they're, they need they need guys like Nick Benino and yeah. all the guys, well, Bolesky, all the guys they got rid of. I mean, really, the team that you regret what Benino's doing now is not Anaheim, because Anaheim Vancouver. got Kessler out of it. Kessler's been unbelievable. For yeah. That. It's Vancouver that, sure. you know. I, I mean, they made the larger been, mistake there. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But, I mean, there's other guys that they could have, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I highly doubt that, that Vancouver's like, we want Nick Benino or no one else. I think it was right. like, okay, we'll, we'll package some players that might work for you. And well, and Kessler wanted out, guys. too, so Vancouver well, yeah. had to sort of make but, I mean, the best the, out the, of it. The Ducks were going to get him almost no matter what. They could have traded other guys, I think, instead of Benino. But anyway, I mean, yeah. same thing. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and, you know, who knew the guy's going to go there and have this chemistry with these two players. And HBK line. Yeah, I mean, I would. I mean, honestly, well, not one maybe. of the beards of the playoffs, completely <laughs> underrated, you know. <laughs> hey, I, I Again, would've... Joe and, and and Burns get all the all the pub for their beards, which are legendary. But I I'll almost would have voted some Con Smythe votes towards Benino. Oh, you, <laughs> you didn't know, play that great. Got a last legendary. Uh, uh, Ian Cole called it a throaty instead of a goatee. Throaty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, again, you know, the the players are ripping off the heavy metal guys. I mean, obviously, there's always been beards, but now, you know, heavy metal three or four years ago is like the, the big beard is the right. big thing now. And all of a sudden, you know, Thornton and Burns and all these guys with the big beards, not just the playoff beards. There you go. It's all right. I wish they were listening to more metal music. Oh, you don't hear it a lot walking in the rooms now. And Burns has no excuse because Burns is a snake guy, and his snake guy is the same snake guy that Kerry King from Slayer are, so they have some, right. some connection there, but Burns is not a metal guy. People kept telling me all along he was a metal guy, and then somebody said, oh, no, no, country and whatever. He used to be in a, when I started 21 years ago covering the NHL, you walk into a room and there'd be lots of metal, but mm-hmm. uh, not anymore. No, it's weird. We, we talked about this earlier. sad. There's definitely, I mean, obviously we've had most of them on this, on this show, and there's a, there's pockets of guys oh, yeah. around that are big metalheads. But, yeah, it used to be, it's really weird, like Dan Boyle, we were talking to him Faith about no it. no more, yeah. Yeah, and just about, you know, music in the room, like, you know, and he said, yeah, I like, if I go in and I play my stuff, and it's not even the heavier stuff, people look at me like, it's all crazy. It's all dance and techno. Like, what is going on up in Canada? It's all EDM, <laughs> right? What, yeah, like, what, is, crazy, what is happening like, in the farmlands of Canada that this horrible music is, is it kind a of thing? I don't know. Well, I mean, generally the players are mostly Canadian, so I'm, I'm no, blaming that's Canada. True. That's true. I blame Canada, just like South Park. Know. And you're asking the wrong guy, as you know. I know. And listen to my GNR and Metallica all day long. So now you're super excited for the GNR reunion, right? I am. I'm excited with a bit of trepidation because I think that I know why it's happening. So I I wasn't born yesterday. (laughs) Money's at the root of a lot of it. No. But but I know. But it's still, I mean, when that band broke up, it shattered me. Sure. And uh, How how many times have you seen them live? uh, Only twice. Yes. But just, and that music has aged so well, especially Appetite. You know, to this day, you can still throw it on, and it just sounds so fresh and different. And uh, now, are you going to go see them? I think I will probably try. Yeah, I'm looking going at a different option. Uh, as of this moment, no. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it, I think it's. I mean, I think it'll you should be good. go. Yeah, you have the power to get places. I mean, it's like anything in life. Like you know, some of my non-metal favorite artists, John Mellencamp's one of them. And the last time I saw him, he was terrific. But the you know, he's older now, and his his voice can't reach the same, uh, you know. It just reminds us that we're all mortal yes. when we see uh, our heroes. And, and I think there'll be some of that probably with GNR Reunited, you know. It's, it's interesting, though, because I talked to so many people about this stuff. And for me, I'm like, I'm the same way. Like I, and I've seen guns a million times in their heyday. So for me, it's like, eh, I mean, I mean I'll probably go just to mm-hmm. go, but I'm not really overly excited about it because I saw them when they were amazing. 
but so many people I talk to that are similar to you, some once or twice, that are big fans. They all are like over the moon and they're right. going to be great. And even guys I know in the business who seen them a bunch of times said, "Oh, I saw them in Vegas. They were great." I mean, this is a big video. It was good. Right. It's good to see, but I, I don't know people's perceptions are. I think way more like you. It's like, yeah, you know, they're not what they used to be. But or they're still good. People, or other people are like, I mean, how many times did the Who come? After they were past their prime, right, and they just kept coming and saying, "Oh, this is our last tour. This is right. our last tour." And <clears throat> excuse me, people kept showing up for the experience. I saw the Who. All right, like it didn't matter what they did. It's it probably matter. some of that. And and you know, I would argue, and you know, you're the expert here, but GNR to me, like Metallica, um, they crossed more borders than than their genre. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, Appetite in particular. Basically, I believe was the second leading selling album of the decade of the 80s behind only Michael mm-hmm. Jackson mm-hmm. Thriller yep so you know they've reached different people with you know especially with that album you know so and now they haven't been out in so long there's a well, well they ha- we'll see but they have been out they've been existing and playing shows all these years but not right. as the more or less the real Guns N' Roses yeah. which is funny because they'll go from playing you know a, a partially filled arena to now they're selling out two nights of stadiums because yeah. Slash is back in the band. It's, you know, well, more or less the real Slash and Axel together is, is roses. what we, yeah, I mean. So like, there, and there's a whole new generation. Like, in theory, I could take my son. Of know, course. Like, I was huge GNR in college, and now my son's 11. Like, I, you know, take him and introduce him, and that's that next generation. No, I, I totally there, get there, that. There's that's 18 great. to 20 year olds that are going to be showing up for their first Guns N' Roses. Absolutely. You know, after living off this legend for 15 years and hearing about yep. it all, that they're finally going to get to see. You know, if Axel's going to be late, what kind <laughs> of mood he's going to be in. You know, all the things that have become a legendary part of the Guns N' Roses experience, plus the music. But but again, on the flip side, and I don't, I never begrudge people for wanting to make money. But you know, my wife went to see Madonna, you know, last year, and was just the ticket price was ridiculous, and and her and she thought her performance was dated. And, really? Yeah. So, so, so I mean, there is that risk. You know, the Rolling Stones now. When he, I mean, and I. So you're stepping on my you know. toes here because my good friend Monty Pittman is her guitar player. I, I'm actually not a Madonna fan. I mean, but she you know. said the guitar player was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me add that. Let me add that. <laughs> well, but, 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 and you know, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask about this. And that was I, one night. I, I, no, it is on a tour. So that's you have true. better nights than others. Like, I saw like three, a sports team. I saw it three times and I was like, I expected to go and I asked Monty, I said, so let me know yeah. when you're doing stuff because if I get bored, you know. Show, I thought the show was amazing. Yeah, so okay. Maybe maybe Toronto go. was not so good. Yeah, but like uh, she's kind of stepped away. Like it's more of a production now than it yeah. Is. Well, that was my wife's point. She yeah, she didn't play the Madonna. hits. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I get that. Yeah, yeah. For, for me as a guy that it's not a hit driven like just it was like a Cirque du Soleil meets right satanic ritual meets. I mean, it was right. just crazy show wise. Yeah, and, 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 I can and, see where people some like people show up and want to hear. Lucky they want to hear the hits like, exactly. I hear Lucky Star. Yeah, and they play a lot of that, but in a different role. So I get that. I get that. Buddies are diehard stars. Fans who the last time they went for the price they paid and the age they are now felt a little. Well, now you're a Springsteen you know, guy too, right? So no, not, I'm not that much of a Springsteen guy. I'm more Mellencamp. Oh, oh yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah. I was always asked like that Springsteen guys because it's the same way. Like they're older and they're you're paying a fortune, but people still go to like so many shows yeah. there. I mean, maybe it's just one of those things you have to accept that we're all getting older. <laughs> There's and no it's way around it's it, a know. connection back to your youth, right? Like, yeah. it's, well, I get that. But see, I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan. They're my all-time favorite band. They're still, to me, great live. I mean, yeah. the singer Dickinson is probably sounds better now than he did back, right? back in the day. Yeah. Amazing. But like, that's you know, cool. 
every time Accept comes, I want to go because like that was the first band for me, right? That was kind of with or without Udo. I saw him with Udo, but now it's without. Yeah, you'll still go. Yeah, like just because it's. It's going to bring back all those memories of being at Rocky Point Amusement Park when I was 16 years old and didn't know who they were and all of a sudden it was like, and Udo was the whole thing, like it's this little five foot two guy in camo just with the biggest voice since Ronnie James Dio just crushing everything and you're like, oh my god, and but to see them now, I mean their singer's okay. How do you know Udo's only 5'2"? But that's a guess. And, he's six uh, three. No, he's not. Now, have they said who who might open for GNR, or will they not have an opening act? Uh, no, there there uh, there's a whole bunch of different opening acts. Okay. Actually, they're they're kind of spacing it out. There's some cool okay. stuff. I think I want to say Al- Allison Chains is doing a lot of it. They, oh wow! They might even be doing almost all of it. Uh, they're doing most of it. Then there was talk like it's some of the the gigs they might have somebody else. But I think Allison Chains is doing okay. almost all Excellent. of it. Excellent. Which so be, they, and they're still really good. Because one one of my favorite bands growing up too was Tesla, and I, and I figured that. Ah. Would be yeah, no, GNR is not going to have a band like that out there, unfortunately. Right. They're going to they're gonna go, like, Alice in Chains makes sense. Yeah. They're, like, they're, the faith, huge. they're like the Faith No More on that uh, Metallic exactly. Guns and Roses. Exactly. Like, Faith No More opened for, for both those bands and uh, was perfect. Like, they were just big enough to maybe sell, to fill out the arena if you weren't going to fill it out, and then not big enough to steal, sure. steal well, they, a show. They, they better go on on time, by the way, because, you know, like, when I, f- I remember seeing them once in L.A., and... I still can't believe we did this, but they Skid Row was opening for Guns N' Roses. Wow, that's a pretty good combo right there. So Skid Row played there 45 minutes at 8, 8, 8, 8 to 8.45, and then we sat in that arena until 2 a.m., sitting around, like everything was closed, there was nothing to do or anything. Axel we wasn't ready. Axel wasn't ready, so <laughs> 2 a.m. they went on, and they were amazing. But I was like, they can't do that now. I mean, it was old. Like, yeah. Yeah. People like, like, I, I go to sleep at 11 o'clock at night now. That's I, I can't the reason you asked me if I was going. I saw him on that Metallica Faith No More show at Giant Stadium. And the night we saw a Metallica opened, blew the place apart, and then nothing. It was middle of summer, it was 100,000 degrees, again, no concessions, nothing. They were still in New York City, they hadn't even come to the stadium yet. And then eventually they took the helicopter over, <laughs> and everybody's completely spent by the time they come out and they start playing. They get about halfway through the first song, and Axel starts yelling at the crowd, "If you're going to be this way and you're not going to be into it, screw you guys. We're not playing." You know, and everybody's like, "Dude, we we sh- we spent our all our energy, and then we sat for three hours. Like it takes a minute to get back into it." And I was kind of like, "He's definitely really not. He's definitely not as crazy as he yeah. used to be there. That, I don't think you'll see that sort of stuff happening on, on this." But it really now, turned but. me off. Like, and I, I was just like, "I don't know that I want to do this ever again." Like, when you have a bad experience like that, you kind of a little gun shy. I have a feeling for me, it's like one of those things. Like, eh, I'm not really going to go. And then is it then closer? Happens, it's right. like, all right. Everybody. So he's going to call them and say, "I got extra tickets." I was going to say, "You can get into anywhere." Yeah, so. I'm just like, all right, fine, I'll go. The excitement's going to build, and it may be the same thing when they come to New York this summer. You know, one of my buddies may be like, "Hey, I got tickets. You got nothing to do on a Friday night?" I'll yeah, go. there is a curiosity factor too at this point. I wonder if they're going to be any. <laughs> And plus, it's the summertime. So you go when you tailgate for four. Well, we'll know right away after the first show with social media today. I mean, it'll oh, yeah. be automatic. Well, you can watch it. I mean, I watched uh, when they played the two shows in Vegas. I watched on Periscope. People right. were Periscoping the whole night. So that, it wasn't bad. It was all right. right. But it'll also be interesting when they get toward the end of the tour. Well, yeah, I mean, Again, yeah. we're all older. They're older. That's a hard life, like... Some yeah, of the old rivalries, maybe, in the band. And just the, the being worn down. Yeah, but they're playing like three or four shows in a week at most. Yeah. So there's no... It's not the old grind, right? Yeah, and those guys are all so... Well, Axel's not sober, but 
stuff and slasher sober, so they're not, right. they're not going to be worn out. They're going to. But be it's still. I mean, fresh. it's a it's still airplanes and it, it wears yeah. on you, and you're a little claustrophobic with your bandmates and. Dude, yeah. those guys are not seeing each other aside from on stage. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. It's like a few hockey teams I know. There you go. <laughs> twenty-five guys, twenty-five cabs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, we were talking about the concession and stuff, and the one, one one thing I noticed this year for the first time in a long time, it used to be in overtime playoff hockey games, like everything's closed, you can't eat or drink anything. I was two games this year. I'm trying to remember where they were, uh, and the concession were open. Like one of them was a double overtime game. They still kept everything open. And Nashville, Nashville for the triple overtime. They were still getting beers in the double overtime, and you were like, wait a minute, this can't be legal in any way, but it's Nashville. Like, any of us, anything. Las Vegas. Yeah, but it was, it was ridiculous. Like, that, because we walked through, you have to walk through the arena to get back downstairs. And I was walking through, and there were these huge beer lines, and I'm like, this can't be right. Like, yeah, but then, but then you went and stood in one. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, if Vegas does get a team, and you know, they'll be in the West. Imagine a Nashville Las Vegas playoff series, and <laughs> A trying to cover one as a journalist, or B just being a fan trying to go to. So East these town. would be well, for, from a fan, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, as a journalist, these are going to be very poorly written, short, <laughs> short. But uh, there'll be a lot of coverage, boy. Oh yeah, everybody's going to want to go. <laughs> Every single national columnist is going to show up for that. First, first playoff series with the Vegas, gotta go. Yeah. So now you. Th- so so let me ask. So do you think then? Take Vegas out because that'll be the number one. So right now, biggest party city to go see an NHL game. Would you say Nashville? I'd say I'd say the top three destinations that I hear a lot from players that they love on the off night are, are Nashville, Chicago, Montreal. Or tend to be Vancouver's up there too. Sure. Yeah. But what about for you guys? For us, pretty much very similar. Chicago is my number one. Um, I actually like Pittsburgh a lot. Yeah. Pittsburgh what? Yeah, I do. Oh God, you're insane. No offense to all my friends in Pittsburgh. No. But. I'd be probably Chicago, Nashville, Montreal would be my top three. Interesting, interesting. I like yeah, Montreal's a lot of fun. I like Montreal a lot, but I love Tampa. So yeah. Tampa's fun. Well, I know you like Burns Steakhouse. Of course, yes. <laughs> Even though you're vegetarian. <laughs> I eat fish. They have fish. Well, the funny thing about the Steakhouse, I think we need to tell our listeners why we like Burns Steakhouse. Well, we we won't say it, but the one thing though I notice about steakhouses is I'll always go because they always have phenomenal fish. There. That's true. So it's I'm, just as I am. I'm Absolutely. all good. But yeah, well, we mentioned at the beginning wine expert. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we had a we had a, a lovely dinner at Burn Steakhouse down at the finals last year. I was originally rooting for Tampa to get in this year, so yeah, we do that. But yeah, we had some old. Uh, is that the oldest wine you've ever had? Yes, by far. Nine, what did we have? Nineteen twenty-three or Nin- something. Nineteen twenty-one, nineteen twenty-nine, nineteen fifty-four, and nineteen sixty-one. Right? Oh, he remembers all. That's impressive. Oh, that was an amazing night. And then visiting the wine cellar after was. Uh, and we had the hundred-year-old Madeira. In oh, it was older. Yeah. That it was eighteen. It was off like a pirate ship. Eighteen hundred. Yeah, no, that one wasn't off a pirate ship. Oh, I thought the it one was. I had before was the seventeen seventy-six when I first yeah. went there was a pirate ship. This this was not, but it was still eighteen ninety or something. I, I need to grow. Year. I'm such a Napa guy. I need to grow my uh, my wine uh, following towards your side of it. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you like the Bordeaux, it, it definitely depends. Like, I'm definitely a, a European and French guy. Even, you know, we, we had some wine last night. I woke up with a, a little bit of a headache today. Right. I could drink Bordeaux all night long and not have any anything. So Interesting. A little bit different. Now, you've been to Napa, obviously. A couple times, yeah. I love it. My wife and I have been twice. And um, What's your go-to? Are you a cab guy? A I'm a cab guy. guy and we, and we, there, there are two wineries that we've already been to twice that I absolutely love. One is called Pride Wineries on Spring Mountain. 
and it makes an amazing Merlot, an amazing cat. Well, it makes the, a lot of their labels are great, but I love that winery. And the other one is uh, Viader, which is on the side of a hill and, and was, um, was uh, established by an Argentinian woman at a time where there weren't a lot of women who owned vineyards in Naples, oh, wow. which is a bit of a trailblazer. And uh, I got a bunch of those aging right now at home, yeah. How did you find out about those? From friends of friends, uh, we we had had other friends who had done an apple thing, and so we didn't want to we didn't want to get caught in making mistakes because you can get you know you got to know you got to be organized when you go there, and so we had heard from friends of friends which are the wineries that you don't really hear about that you should really do, and Via Dare was one of them for sure. Yeah. So yeah, living in Canada has got to be difficult to be a wine guy because you can't yeah. you can only buy wine from the the, from the, the state, general uh, store. Yeah. Can't it's have called, shipped to you. province, but I'll, I'll I'll let you use the word state to make it. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, pro- no, no, it's, a, it's government controlled. So now, it just so happens that the Ontario, like our, our provincial liquor store, they are the biggest purchases of wine in the world. Really? Wow. Well, I mean, I mean, I've been to a few up there. It's like one I, giant store within the entire province, right? I mean, sure. But I've been to a few places up there, and it's a reasonable selection. But is there like a real like a it's you called know, yeah. There's a section in each one where it's called vintages, and 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 it's it's pretty cool. I is mean, there like a like in Toronto, for example? Is there one that's got a, a unbelievable collection of wine? Yeah, there are bigger else? stores than other. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is actually really good. At the end of the day, my frustration is that I think if you're willing to pay, you should literally just get what you want. Exactly. But it doesn't quite work that way. So what's the theory? The theory behind controlling all of this is it just the government wants to well, I mean, wants the money or is it well we're essentially you know we're kind of a socialist country right I, mm-hmm. mean, I mean free health care and mm-hmm. cheap education and pay the roads and comes out of your income tax just a different just a different world but how does that delve into them controlling the wines or is just, it alcohol yeah well because a they make a lot of money off it they tax the heck out of it of course yeah that goes to building hospitals but you could still tax the heck out of it and have some you know an independent guy open a wine store there yeah i guess that's true i mean i mean the bottom line is like in province of quebec it's it's a little more liberal Uh, corner stores sell alcohol unlike you know so so it depends from province to province how it goes yeah i'm going to disagree with you there because i went to see iron maiden at the quebec summer fest a few Mm -hmm. years ago and we were in quebec city it's a great festival in Quebec City, show ends, hung out with the band and, and the manager for a while afterwards. So we get out of there, I don't know, 11, 11, 11.30 mm-hmm. on a Saturday night in Quebec City. There's no there's no alcohol anywhere. I walked into a store. Well, and you, I, you I, clearly I, weren't in Montreal. <laughs> no, we were in Quebec City. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, well, you we, wouldn't have an issue in Montreal. <laughs> uh, maybe that's it. Because I walk into a store and they had a bottle of wine there and I like, w- went to reach and somebody starts screaming at me in French. Like, oh, oh, yeah. There are certain hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are hours that control and the sale. The only yeah. place we could have any alcohol in Quebec City on a Saturday night at 1130 was yeah. the hotel bar. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's going on? But also, generally speaking, too, Quebec City is a quieter place in Montreal. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, yeah, Montreal. Great food, though, great restaurants in Quebec City. I love Quebec City. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful place. But yeah, well, so yeah, it's yeah, it's a little bit tougher for you to be a, a wine fit. You can't have a big wine cellar out there, can you? Because it's just impossible to get. Yeah, to bring, I, even bring it back. I have a couple of wine fridges, so yeah, it's, you get enough. it's enough. It's all I need. He could have a big wine cellar because all the wine disappears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I'm not a very good ager. I he, tend to drink a lot of my stuff. <laughs> he entertains, and all the wine yeah, disappears. Yeah, it's fun though. It's really been for me. Um, you know, I, I read about it constantly. My wife and I did a culinary institute of America course at uh, in Napa while we were there, and 
I just it's just sort of my hobby the last 10 years I've really grown in love with it unfortunately you're in a bad city to have that be a hobby because you're limited into what you could do that would that would drive me nuts yeah like in I, California we can do I found a few ways around it but I don't want to talk about it here ah, on the yeah. podcast fair. <laughs> fair enough smart man smart man so we're nearing our end here. We've, all, we've talked for an hour already, believe it or not. It seems like it was five minutes. So any other interesting things on the, on the horizon, NHL-wise? That Well, I was going to say, when we started the podcast, we were talking to Sean about you know, the long two months of travel that a lot of us have had here in the media, which is a great time of year. I love Because the rest of the year, I'm more, I write a lot about the business of the game. And during the playoffs, I go back to my roots and write about the games, which I love. But... The end of the cup final is not the end. I mean, the three weeks after the cup final leading to July 1st are mayhem. The awards and the draft. And, and, you're, and you're chasing rumors and trades and signing. So it's actually, this is in a way for me, the calm before the storm, to be honest. And then, But once July 2nd comes, as Sean mentioned, my cabin, I'm, I disappear. <laughs> Out of here. I do not disappear. I still go into the office. I do not have as cushy, cushy again. Yeah, what do you like? So July 18th in... The NHL offices. What is happening there? Developmental camps. We're covering developmental camps. And you start doing a lot of previews and stuff, right? Yeah, we'll do some previews. Now with the World Cup, our summer's so condensed. Well, that's true. Yeah, we're yeah. doing a ton of World Cup stuff. Um, the the appetite for news is it's never ending, right? So yeah. you just there, there's always something that you can do. But a lot of July is going to be like developmental camps. I mean, at some point. Um, you know, the top picks are going to go to their teams for the first time. You know, Toronto's yeah. going to have the number one pick this year. That's going to be complete mayhem. Yes. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, and of, what a shock that Toronto won the, the draft lottery. I'm <laughs> so shocked about they that. They earned it. I guess. Well, I mean, look, at least I'll give those guys look, credit. They finally the made greatest, that TV terrible, finally. It and was I the mean, greatest tanking job in the history of mankind. Just ask anybody in Toronto. <laughs> Nobody's ever tanked as good as the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, and there will be a banner for that in a couple of years. Well, yeah. They, well, I mean, that's what you have to do to, to be good, though, and, unfortunately. And Austin Matthews is going to be phenomenal yes. for them. But, and there's but, no way they're not going to pick him, right? But it's interesting, you know, they finally got it right for that draft, and they got a guy who was going to change their franchise. Yep. But I tell you, it's the draft lottery of the year before that would have been even greater. Connor McDavid. I mean, oh my cu- goodness. Yeah. Especially uh, that he grew up a Leafs fan, and you know. But do you think, though, for maybe you know, <clears throat> for a guy like McDavid, though, if, let's say he would have gone to Toronto, mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of pressure on that kid there. I mean, that's got to be... I mean, Those it's going to be bad for Matthews, but he's from Arizona, and he seems like a laid-back guy. Hopefully it'll work out for him. I think he's great. I mean, well. I mean, it's a fair question. Um, you really live in, in a fishbowl in a place like Toronto when you're great. But I also think my experience over the years being around a guy like Wingretzky... The guy like Sidney Crosby is that those guys are just they know how to deal with it because they've been but, in the spotlight but they're since in they were four bowls, years old. But, but you know Gretzky was in Edmonton and LA and LA you know had like two beat riders and you know Crosby's in Pittsburgh. I mean the pressure yeah. is way less. I I wonder. You know, Toronto has the most media. There's no question. Yeah. Montreal and Toronto. Yeah, I wonder. I just wonder like how it's going to be interesting how Matthews deals with it, and you know just a great player like that being yeah. under that microscope. Like and you it, make it, one it, mistake, it's all over the place. And even though he was never asked to to carry the team or be the franchise player. I think it was hard on Phil Kessel to have cameras in his face every day. Sure. I don't think he handled very well. I think Pittsburgh's been great for him because he's allowed to be himself. And and he actually has a really nice personality when he allows it to, to be shown. And I think he's shown more of that in Pittsburgh. It's unbelievable how much 
He smiled in the last two months. Yeah, <laughs> he smiled more in the last two months. And I, it's not an insult. It's just yeah. like people have asked me, like, what's the difference in Phil Castle? And I'm like, he's playing the hockey he dreamed about when he was a kid. When you're a kid, you dream about scoring big goals and playing yeah. in big games. You don't you don't dream about standing in front of cameras and asking and, and answering questions. Well, yeah, I mean, personal. Crosby and Malkin are the guys here. So and, yeah. he, and he, he was he, he was set up for failure in Toronto because they you know the Leafs gave up so much for him. You know, ended up being the Tyler Sagan draft pick and a Dougie Hamilton draft pick. Now, ironically, Boston has since dealt both those guys, but <laughs> but they, they gave up the farm for Castle at a time when most Leaf fans thought the Leafs should have done what they're doing now, which is tank and rebuild. And instead, the Leafs tried to band-aid it, which they tried to do for forty years, and it didn't work. And but Kessel bore the you know he wore the brunt of it. Sure. You know he he had to wear that. That again, Leaf fans were angry and they were meandering their way into the abyss. And his trade was seen as the, the latest fiasco. Yeah, well, that team seemed to be super dysfunctional. And I, I give, you know, uh, those guys credit who came in. I mean, Shanahan and, and they, they, uh, I mean, they got rid of all the... plan here. They got rid of all the problem contracts. And a great coach. Fanuff yeah. and Kessel and all the problem contracts and problem guys there. And they finished last. They're going to get a great draft pick. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they were and a pretty they got good other coach. Kids. Mitch Marner lit it up in London in the yep. OHL this year. And William Nylander in the A, the... They might be good. They got kids, they got kids coming. Could, could Toronto but, but deal hardest, with a good hockey team? But the hardest part is now is now coming because will everyone will everyone there between Babcock, Lamorello, and Shannon, be patient? Will everyone see the next step in the same way? Well, and like the, can they words, be patient? It's going right. to take a couple of years right. to. They're not going to be good next year. If if only one of those three decides that they should sign a big free agent this summer, when when the prudent thing would be not to do that and, and to keep. Wrong the base, then that's a different. You know, you got to they have to stay on the same page all the way here. And they're going to get pushed, and they're going to get pushed hard by their fan base. Mm-hmm. Like they lived with what happened this year, and they almost celebrated it. Like they yeah. embraced it and said, "Oh, look at us! We're I, like I wasn't joking. Yeah. Like they believe they've done the best job ever in dismantling a team. But now that's over. Right now that when and that was the easy part. The and when's yeah. when's the parade down Young Street? Like well, it's I, next year yeah, for, for yeah, fans, right? They're like, be, yeah, oh, we got Austin Matthews. We got this guy. We still don't have a goalie. Yeah, like you still don't have a franchise D. Well, I mean, look like, at Edmonton and Conor McDavid. I mean, as great as he is and all those stuff, I mean, they're still not a very good team. They still and they have the same problems that the Maple Leafs are going to happen. They don't have they don't I, have quarterstones at those but, other places. But Bernier, I think Bernier is a great goaltender. I think he's just been, I do he's too, just you thrown know, I, into I, I, a bad I really, situation. I hope it works for him because I, I believe in him too. He was phenomenal with the Kings. Phenomenal, as good as Jones and these other guys. He just got put in a bad situation with a not a very good team in front of him, and it's yeah. like you know he's eventually going to no, be a brutal team. Well, yeah. That. Sorry. So one last one last question. I'll let you guys go because I have you know the, the the power heads of NHL here, so I can ask all my cool questions. So to speak of Toronto, Stamkos. So does he stay in Tampa? I mean, why would he go to Toronto? It didn't seem like it would make sense that he would go. Well, there. first of all, it's not a Tampa or a Toronto scenario. There are There's other, other teams. teams uh, sure. Detroit, Montreal. Other teams. Montreal, I mean, really? If he hits the market, yeah, there are other teams that will, I believe, will make an offer. So it's not. It's not a guarantee that he will be a Leaf if he leaves Tampa. It's also not a guarantee he's going to leave. Um, I reported some of this yesterday, but, you know, well, if he's Steve, Steve Eisenman had recently, after the year ended, communicated again to Steven Stamkos in a meeting that they want to sign him and that they, it's their number one priority. They love him, and, and they want to make it work. They're going to make another offer. So 
it's you know a lot of people are like well they got to the Eastern Final without Stamkos playing a playoff game why why should they even try because well forget even that but still a great player but why if if you're Steven Stamkos why wait until now to sign I mean Kobitar was in the same position yeah could have gone to any of the same places but he's like no I want to stay here I want to get a deal done they got a deal done and he's there so if I my thinking is if I think he's Stamkos, been torn all year yeah. about it I and really I really do. Do you think any of this has anything to do with the fact that him and Marty St. Louis were super close and St. Louis left, left really not under great circumstances there? Do you think any of that plays a role in this? Uh, I, think, I think it probably had more to do, you know, for a time, the relationship between John Cooper and Steven Stamkos, which I think now is less of an issue. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, Corey Perry, people forget <coughs> this, and Corey Perry's UFA year, he didn't sign until late March. He made the Ducks pretty nervous for a long sure. time. And then eventually, Corey Perry, who was represented, by the way, by Newport Sports, which is the same agency that represents Steven Stamkos, it was Corey Perry, the player, that put his foot down and said, you know what, I'm staying, so let's get a deal done. And I think that's what Stamkos, in the next two and a half weeks here, has to ultimately decide. Yeah. He's going to get great advice from Don Meehan, who was one of the great agents in the game, but at the end of the day, it's still a personal decision. If he wants to stay in Tampa, he won't, he won't get quite as much money than if he goes to July 1st. That is the reality. But, but he will get an extra year. And that may, that makes up for some of it right there. I mean, Tampa Bay holds the rock right now. Yeah. Also, Tampa has the look of a team that can be good again for a long time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that should matter to him too. So, exactly. So it, it's, it's really an individual decision. Because my theory is, you know, you, you know I, I don't know him at all, obviously. But if... If if I'm a, if if you're a player and your ultimate goal is to win the Stanley Cup, which they all say it is, mm-hmm. of course money plays a whole. As and we Sam talked Gosa earlier, said that all the time. He want he was hoping to win this year. And that and I would think so. If I'm Stamkos, I'm looking at so let's say my options are Tampa, Detroit, Montreal, Toronto, Toronto, yeah. uh, any other. I can't think of any other real players. There'll be a couple wild card teams as there always are. But the Col- never know. Throwing out Buffalo. Some, some people team- throwing out the Rangers if they can move out enough players. Yeah. Right? But the team closest to winning a Stanley Cup of all those team. teams is Tampa. I mean, they almost got to the Stanley Cup Finals without their number one goaltender and without Stamkos, who's arguably yeah. their their best player, and without so, their number with their number two defenseman for a good portion of strong, the run. Very strong. important player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as important as losing Vlasic. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, they're. Probably of all these teams, the closest team to probably winning. So yeah, they got a bunch of young kids that are really good. Well, Kucherov, I think, is going to be a superstar. If he's not already, and Drew Jonathan Drew so and showing his uh, Drew and showed him all of a sudden out of the because for a while you were wondering what the big deal was about, right? Like, why are they fighting? He's not that good. He hasn't been that good. And then he comes back, re-energized. He was dominant in the playoffs. Well, I got to give credit to Eiserman because at that draft, like I follow all these you know young players coming up, so I know who the good players are. When they drafted Drew and third, I'm like, really over Seth Jones and some of these other guys. Who I thought. We're going to be better, and then it didn't work, and he went down to the minors, and they, they stopped playing. I'm like, that's it, disastrous draft pick. It's, it's a mess, and all of a sudden he comes to the playoffs. I'm like, oh, this is the guy and, that Eiserman saw. All right, he knows he what he's doing. Absolutely, has the potential to be just as good as Barkoff and McKinnon. I think. Sure, I totally agree. Now, pretty yeah. good draft when you look at it now. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but crazy. then that becomes Tampa's problem. They sign, so they sign Stamkos. Their goalie's up soon. Ben Bishop's a year away. Victor Hedman is a, a year, year away. away. Yeah. Kucherov is RFA now. Drewen's a, lot of, uh, a year away, right? From, yeah. from his entry level. He won't have a lot of power, which, but still. But his, his number will go up yep. dramatically. Like, if you sign Stamkos, you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself 
Oh, you have to move players out. You're yeah. going to lose a couple other guys that are pieces to that. And which sure. pieces are the most important? But I think the Lightning can think, live with that. I think yeah. they want Stamkos. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that's a fine, yeah. that's a legitimate decision to make. But I think everybody needs to understand that there are going to be consequences yeah. to that. Well, that look, might they, not be comfortable for the fans. But oh, yeah. next, but next year is the year because they should have all those. If they sign Stamkos, they should have everybody at least for next year. Yeah, uh, and then I mean they can wait a year. It'd cut. probably be better for them not to wait a year, especially when it comes to Hedman entering his final year for yep. UFA. I mean, you probably want to extend him this summer. Um, uh, Bishop will be the most interesting one because if expansion if, Vegas, yeah. if expansion gets done, I think goalies you're not going to be able to protect goalies in the same way you. Well, do but I think that's but yeah. I think that's an easy thing for Tampa because Vasilevsky's great. Everybody yeah. knows he's going to be great. He played incredibly he's well for a while. Yeah. 21, 20, 21 year old kid. I mean, in two years he's going to be twenty three. That's, I mean, if they lose Bishop, they lose Bishop. Yeah. I know, but it's uh, it's a and he can't stay healthy in the playoffs anyway. Yeah. It's a hard pill <laughs> two to years swallow. Zero. I mean. And hopefully you get something back for him, but that's what I'm saying. Like, <coughs> hey, look, as a Las, as a Las Vegas change. fan, I want Ben Bishop to go to Las Vegas. Well, Mark Andre Fleury has a few no. options for a lot. No, well, a lot of these Bishop. guys, no a lot of these guys will get traded before the. Expi- I don't yeah. know that a lot of them will be in the expansion draft when it finally comes to happen. I think a lot of them will be traded before that, or there'll be trades made where don't take my guy. I remember that was yeah, the, yeah. when Nashville came in. There was a lot of there'll be some uh, under the table. And the the NHL can't do anything to, to prevent that. I think the league will look at it and say, "Listen, like if you're if you're Las Vegas and you're getting something good out of it, then I guess it's still the spirit of it is as long as you know if you're getting a second round pick because you're doing something, then you're still getting something. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. as long as Las Vegas, you know, you can't trade everybody. itself out of it. Yeah, yeah. If they get a team, yes, <laughs> better. Damn it. <laughs> Well, man, thank so you. So now we've gone full circle. We're there right back at the beginning, perfect, and now we're 15 minutes later. Perfect way to end it. Well, thanks again for doing no this, man. No problem, Brian. Really it's appreciate it. Nah, it's an honor for us to have you. So cool. So, well, that's it. We're out of here. Uh, when we talk to you next, we'll have a Stanley Cup champion. I'm guessing it's going to be Pittsburgh. If, if it's not Pittsburgh, we'll be surprised. And then it'll be summertime. You'll, have, you'll actually have more time to do this, and I will have less time. Yes. That's the way it always may, is. There right? may have one to be a, is, one of us is prepared, and the other one is. There, doing there it may by have the to be a mental case. misconduct from France or Barcelona this this summer. That'd be awesome. That doesn't sound awful. No, it's not awful at all. Anyway, thanks, guys. Uh, we went way over, so no music this month for the uh, radio guys. But uh, we'll be back next month. And thanks, NPR. All right.